0: Welcome to Exotic Pets. I'm Tracy Hotchner, whom you may know as the dog and cat lady, but I'm wearing a different hat here. With the brilliant collaboration of my co-host, Dr. Doug Mater, the world-renowned veterinarian specializing in exotic animals, we are here to celebrate all the other pets that share people's lives. This show is for people interested in pets that slither, hop, creep, fly, or swim, from bunnies to iguanas, parrots to ferrets, snakes to tortoises. Dr. Doug is going to teach us the physical requirements of these exotic pets and how to manage the often challenging environments and correct diets essential to their welfare. Dr. Doug Mater is the author of the wonderful memoir, The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an Inner City Animal Hospital. He is recognized worldwide as a veterinary specialist on exotics and is the author of four major veterinary textbooks on reptiles and amphibians. We are proud to have Zoomed Laboratories as the founding sponsor of exotic pets. Zoomed has earned its reputation as the number one reptile and amphibian supplier in the world from simple beginnings 45 years ago as a passion project for one man who still runs it. Renowned as the international leader in UVB and heat lighting, ZooMed manufactures all their reptile supplies, accessories, and tools in the U.S., which they test on their own collection of animals, which surround everyone at headquarters. We're also sponsored by Oxbow Animal Health, the one brand that has stood out for more than 30 years as the leader in health and wellness for small mammals. Veterinarians, rescues, and passionate pet parents worldwide trust Oxbow to support the health and happiness of their small pets. Oxbow provides for rabbits and guinea pigs, ferrets and chinchillas, hamsters and gerbils, mice and rats, because these small pets have big hearts and require special nutrition and care oxbow has everything needed for their best life the right hay and nutritionally complete foods treats and supplements litter and bedding and a whole line of enrichment products created so your little loved ones can chew play hide and explore every day we're also brought to you by the bird food specialist zupreme which started with a revolutionary yet simple idea provide exceptional diets for extraordinary animals. Best known as the bird nutrition specialist, Zooprem creates many foods for birds of all sizes, and they also make a variety of treats to appeal to every sort of bird and enhance their lives. I am back with Dr. Micah Colas, the chief veterinary officer at Campana Pet Brands and Oxbow Animal Health, who has his own vet clinic, the Woodland Animal Hospital, and is also an adjunct professor at the University of Nebraska. Dr. Micah, one of the things you talked about when we were talking about the right nutrition for birds, avian nutrition, you brought up a topic that I have never heard quite the word foraging. Companion and mammal foraging and also bird foraging and enrichment, and how optimizing the way they eat can increase their quality of life, their happiness factor, their true self. So, I'd love to, I'd love you to tell people that because most people have a bowl or a container of some kind in which we hope they're putting (laughs) supreme food, right? Or or, a really high quality food, please, as the base. But then, but then, what in addition? For fun,
1: yeah. Well, imagine back to when we were walking around this Earth and our food wasn't presented to us in a drive-through. I mean, imagine if we actually had to <laughs> to put some effort into finding our McDonald's cheeseburger or our uh, Chipotle bowl. What would what would our society look like? Oh, I mean, that you know,
0: we'd be thinner. Food
1: is right for sure and healthier and longer lived. But oh, that's yeah. another conversation. It is you know. So the act of foraging is how any species finds food. Whether that's grazing as an herbivore, whether that's hunting insects as an insect or as as whether that's a, a predator looking for something to eat. So it's the behavior of exploring, searching, you know, locating, tracking, hunting, manipulating food, catching food, and then ingesting it. And so all kinds of species inevitably do foraging. It's just a matter of what does that foraging look like, not only based on their environment, or what does that foraging look like based on their metabolic needs you know you think about a gorilla foraging looking for different types of plant materials in you know Rwanda versus a, a rat running across you know, Key West, Florida, looking for yes. different insects. So it is a part of every single daily life of wild animals. And we, we forget that, you know, we bring them into captivity. Their food magically floats down from the heavens every day, ends up in their bowl, and they can stand in one place and, and get all the calories they need in, in you know, 10 or 15 minutes. We, it's just, it's a horrible cycle of convenience that we've we've tied to our pet species and we've seen a lot of diseases associated to it.
0: And a lot of emotional issues especially in birds, For right? Sure. I mean maybe For also sure. in small mammals but a lot of self-destructive behaviors because they're bored, they're stressed. They don't feel yeah. like a bird anymore. They know just something is wrong. So with what did you ever give live insects in a terrarium or some kind of a container? Do You ever or, or yeah. mice or t- talk about feeding in addition to the basic um balanced made scientifically food that will cover all the bases talk a little bit about yeah. do you do you buy crickets and who do you give buy those for and let them hop around until the the exotic right. pet gets them or mice
1: well and and the first thing I'll say, Tracy, is, is you know, foraging is not this we want to do it or it'd be nice or if it works out. I mean, this is truly a behavioral need. Okay. And there's actually been a lot of research that's done. I mean, the, the term that's used is called contra-freeloading. What that means is that if you offer an animal a choice between provided food or food that requires effort to obtain most species, and this is not just small mammals, it's, it's avian, it's even reptile species, most of those species will prefer a food that requires effort. No I kidding. mean, I think that the, wow. the term was coined by uh, an animal psychologist a long time ago, but they will work for food when given the opportunity. And so it's truly a need. Now, in terms of when and how, you know, there's a lot of species specificity there. You know, okay. we need to understand the animal We need to understand their natural diet. We need to understand, do they even have a clue what's natural for them? You know, I'll use the example of a ferret. You know, most of the ferrets that we see in the U.S., come from a breeding, one breeding facility. And ferrets are obligate carnivores, just like hyper carnivores, just like cats. But how many of these ferrets have any clue they're actually a predator, right? They don't understand that. So sometimes we have to engage them in natural behaviors to help them in effect, learn how to behave naturally. But if we think about a ferret, what is the perfectly defined nutrient for a ferret, a food item? It would be a mouse, right? Or some other type wow. of small rodent species. Like a cat. Now, Sure, 100%. Now, are we going to convince most cat owners that live in suburbia wherever to feed, hey, start feeding live mice to your your cat? No, but (laughs) we need to understand what that means nutritionally. Now, there are certainly other species, and reptiles are a great example, where insects with reptile species such as crested geckos or bearded dragons, feeding live insects is an essential part of natural diet. It ties directly to foraging and that behavioral enrichment piece. Now, again, it depends on owner, right? It depends on species. Um, but yes, using live insects, depending on the animal and the species, even using live prey, potentially if you're feeding snakes or other carnivorous reptiles, using, repti- or using live rodents can be a natural part of their diet. It just depends on the applicability, the owner willingness. And again, you, know, you do need to be conscientious of the potential risks to the pet as well.
0: Risks to the pet. Like, give an example.
1: So feeding live rodents. You know obviously you know snakes in the wild eat live rodents. That's what they do. Sure. Now, feeding live rodents in captivity if it's not done in the right way in the right controlled environment. If you don't have a snake that's natural with feeding with live animals There's been many cases, unfortunately, where the rodent ends up becoming the predator and the snake ends up becoming the meal. Yeah, I mean, I've treated lots and lots of snakes for rodent bites where owners put live rodents in the habitat without proper supervision, without proper awareness. The snake, for whatever rhyme or reason, doesn't understand and doesn't behave right, and then the rodent will potentially feed on the snake.
0: I'm, I'm, uh, my jaw has dropped. So we you didn't don't want, want that in
1: your mind, did you? No, that,
0: that was, well, I, I just, wow. It's hard enough to think of putting little mice in there and watching them be humped, but that's, Yeah. that's part of owning those species of, of reptiles that need that yeah. f- to make their life complete. But the good what, thing
1: is that with most reptiles, you can train them to safely and effectively eat, frozen rodents. And obviously that's a safer, it's a more cost-effective way to do it. But if you're going to do that, you take away that engagement piece. So then I always try to talk to reptile owners about how do we provide other natural enrichment? How do we engage them in physical activity and mental stimulation if we're not going to feed live rodents, which I certainly understand the pros and cons
0: of that. Okay. So let's talk about whether if a person was a really dedicated reptile owner, I think most of them must be pretty de- dedicated because they picked reptiles in the first place, which is, you know, an outlier Good pet, point. right? Do right. we do we encourage them? Is there a, a safe way for the human to turn the frozen defrosted rodent into something that can be chased in the way that we do wand play, toy, toy play with cats? We don't put anything yeah alive on the end of it, but we always have to give the cat a genuine protein snack at the end of the three-minute, let's call it, play period where they're supposed to be chasing the thing at the end of the wand toy. Is there anything that people, do you recommend that people try to take the floppy defrosted mouse and make it seem real, hide it behind some beautiful piece of wood that's in the terrarium, or is the person in danger of of the snake leaping out at them? At their hand. Yeah, and
1: those are all the pros and the cons and the factors you've got to take into play. How many snakes do you have? What, right. what breed of snake do you have? Right. You know, Heaven forbid, is it a venomous species? How capable are you handling? But I always definitely recommend, obviously, thawing them. Um, and, and maybe you'll have to beep this out because it's so gross. But then we want to crush the head, typically, is what I like to do to release some of the natural juices that stimulate wow. some of that feeding behavior. And then usually I want to provide owners the opportunity, whether they use tongs or something, to facilitate some movement because it's that movement of that species or that that prey item along with the smell and the aroma that should stimulate that strike should stimulate that natural behavior right and it's that strike that bite that grab that we really want these snakes to do because that's what stimulates that feeding pattern and is going to be supportive of them ingesting the animal and obviously digesting it
0: appropriately. That is riveting and something that people that get a snake wouldn't necessarily know because who would teach them? They're friends maybe or they belong to a reptile group, which would be good. We recommend that people join those communities, go to to expos for exotic pets, talk to breeders, other owners, because even that word of mouth can be helpful. But people listening, let's say they had no idea. They think you put the frozen mouse in the terrarium and they're all disappointed that the snake is ignoring it. So, okay, defrost – the, how we crush the, the mouse's head, we don't probably have to be very specific about, but I'm sure there's some way to do it where it doesn't upset you tremendously. After all, the mouse is dead and died by gassing, right? Fairly humane. Well, no, t- and- yeah, t-
1: yeah. Typically, you're going to buy it from some reptile, right. uh, appropriately and reputable rodent, and they're they're going to use appropriate things to ensure you know animal welfare and, exactly. and so on and so forth.
0: Okay. So the mouse, at this point, isn't feeling it anyway. So no, you you not. have to be creative with your forceps, but you should should people look at a I don't know, a Nat Geo or Discovery channel of how that their their species of snake normally behaves when they slither around from a, around a rock and find their prey so they can yeah. try to be a, a make pretend prey themselves.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, doing research into whatever breed you're getting. And one of the things that I love so much about reptile owners is they're very, very passionate. And, you know, we as veterinarians can provide some perspective in terms of behavioral and husbandry and feeding. You know, some of my reptile breeders and reptile owners are a hundred times more educated in terms of the behavior of the particular snake, you know, whether that's a ball python or any of the other common snakes. So do your research there, you know, get online, find these forums that are very specific to individual species, and they'll have entire, chat rooms entire blogs about diet feeding foraging so on and so forth but you know again Tracy you know whether it is a rabbit you know and we talk about feeding hay in different way and right. treats in different way, or a bird, all of these animals, again, foraging is a behavioral need. It's not a, if we have time. And as much as we strip away natural behavior by captivity, this is an easy way to get back to some of that natural behavior, utilizing nutrition, something we have to do every single day and engaging with that pet in the right way by providing it with foraging, whether it be physical, whether it be mental, whatever the case would be. I mean, even if it's as simple as what we call scatter feeding, You know, think about a rat. And instead of putting all of their uniform kibble in a bowl, let's take that uniform kibble and spread it out in their habitat. Let's force them to go kibble by kibble, bite by bite, spending physical activity, mental stimulation as they find the same amount of calories that they would normally, you know, scoop up in 20 minutes out of their bowl.
0: Turning dinner or lunch into basically an Easter egg hunt, which is incredibly fun if you ever remember being a child with an Easter egg hunt. (laughs) So if you have a bird who is insectivorous, which is a great word that you used when we talked about avian nutrition, and that bird would love to, I don't know, would that bird love to catch a fly or a cricket? And is there a way to have a cage for the bird that would allow you to release some insects? And even, I don't know, you said some of them are omnivores and... Would they go after a live mouse in their cage, a bird?
1: (laughs) Yeah, and again, I think a lot of this depends on, number one, understanding your bird, understanding natural diet, And then understanding the owner's willingness. You know, you think about zoo settings and all the different diversity of bird species. And, you you know, they're going to feed potential animal protein, whether that be live or killed. Um, In the captive environment, we don't see quite the diversity of birds. And like I said, the majority of the birds that we do see, whether they be cockatiels and budgies, you know, those are predominantly, mostly herbivorous. They would find insects if they can get a hold of them. But certainly when we get into more of the poultry, more of those omnivorous species, You know, Doing things like like dried black soldier fly larva or uh, dried mealworms, those are great ways to safely and easily provide those nutrients. And there's no reason you can't feed live. It's just a matter of the owner's willingness to source live from a reputable source, from a quality source. And then there's always the risk of if the bird doesn't eat it, where does it go? Um, yeah, and that doesn't house. bother me. I mean, you but have to exactly. have
0: plexiglass or something around the bars yeah. of a particular a feeding cage. You have to have like a feeding cage because otherwise, you would want the bars to have open air. I mean, there it's it's really interesting because you hear about these kinds of bugs that they want to catch. My dog's like nothing more than trying to hunt a fly. It is bizarre. Totally. Just, and they're engaged the, the
1: whole time the doing whole it. time
0: they're just quivering with excitement it could yeah, and then i get traffic. out the fly swatter cuz i just can't take it anymore and then they immediately want to eat the fly now that's just dopey yeah. dogs that are confused and that's really not their proper prey but when you have these small mammals that would do well to be able to hunt something it is something that people should try and think about and be creative about and i guess talk to fellow owners because I bet everyone has come up with their version of of doing this. Crickets. What is this thing with gut loading of crickets? I don't understand what that yeah, is. Yeah.
1: So obviously when we raise rodents for feeding or when we raise crickets or, you know, roaches or whatever for feeding, the nutritional profile they bring to the table is based on what they were eating, right? Right. And so that's a big factor. Like you can have a cricket that has a completely different nutritional profile to a cricket that looks exactly the same based on what it was eating itself, what environment was it in, in terms of, you know, photo period, humidity, so on and so forth. So the the reason we talk about supplementing is that one of the the more common issues we see is imbalances in micronutrients or lack of micronutrients like calcium. And so a lot of times there's a recommendation to dust your crickets or to talk. Yes, dress I've heard, heard of that. Yeah correct and that's just to make sure that we're getting an additional level of the micronutrients specifically most commonly your minerals like vitamins um, but it can be a diversity of different nutrients to ensure that if that's the predominant food item the animal's getting we're getting those additional micronutrients there now the good thing is that the, the live industry in terms of those that are producing crickets they've come a long long way in the quality of their nutrition their attention to the detail the testing that they do and so if you're getting from a reputable breeder it may not be as poignant to dust crickets as it used to be. But it's still important to do that research, understand the breeder you're getting your crickets from, understand your animal and how at risk they are for those nutritional imbalances. And then when in doubt, you know I would rather an owner supplement than not.
0: Yeah. And when in doubt, you could dust your cricket also. I mean, just a straight up plug, you could get like the Zupreme food that's right for your creature. And then it doesn't matter if your crickets are perfect or not. It's just going to be the foraging part of the hardwiring of the brain that gets fed. Dr. Micah, this is all so interesting, so many more questions I could ask, and anyone listening that wants to get their specific questions about any of their exotics answered, please write to me, Tracy at TracyHochnerPets.com, and Dr. Micah or Dr. Doug or some of our other guest doctors would love to help you out. Thanks for listening. Dr. Doug Mater and I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Exotic Pets and our desire to educate and inspire you to give your exotics their best possible life. This show is brought to you by the wonderful companies that cater to the needs of exotic pets, from ZooBed Laboratories, where they make everything you need to keep your reptiles and amphibians in tip-top shape, to Oxbow Animal Health, with health and wellness solutions for small mammals, and Zooprem, the company dedicated to your bird's nutrition. And if you haven't read Dr. Doug's book, The Vet at Noah's Ark, yet, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy.